Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Netflix's The Devil All the Time with a star-studded cast based on a book, and I'm excited to get into it and see what Andy thinks, because it is, <laughs> it's a movie, man. It's some bold cinema, and we're also going to talk about RBG, uh, Hulu's documentary from 2018 about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, she actually just recently passed this week, in case you're listening in the future and uh we thought it'd be appropriate and also uh last week we said we we're gonna watch antebellum and we totally were until we found out you gotta pay 20 bucks and watch it on vod like we thought it was gonna be on amazon prime like so you could watch it and you can't and um so yeah just a little honesty for our podcast listeners we're also going to talk about mulan and tenet because we've got some updates on numbers for those two movies mulan of course charged 30 dollars for people to watch it at home tenet you had to go see it in the theaters and it turns out uh, Mulan is actually doing pretty good compared to our theatrical to its theatrical counterpart. And we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Super Mario Movie to be released in 2022, confirms Nintendo. Andy, are you a Super Mario fan? What do you know about this? Um, I mean, the title kind of tells it all. Um, I am a, a fan of the, the series. I grew up playing uh, the original on the original Nintendo Entertainment the System. Old NES, yeah. But what's surprising about this is that there's never been a Super Mario movie made, and it seems like such a no-brainer. It, like, it's it's a huge, hugely successful, familiar property. And, you know, when you think of things like the Lego movie, it's like, man, you could easily make a mint off this. Um, but uh, ever since 1994, I believe, when they did the live-action Super Mario movie, yeah. which is re- really out there and really kind of weird... Um, really strange decisions there uh that scared nintendo away from films for the last 25 years Uh, so it's it's exciting to finally see them coming back and you know if they do this right this can be a a huge cash cow for them so i'm a big mario fan uh definitely played a lot of mario in my day and actually just recently uh it actually this year is the 35th anniversary of mario um which is why this news is coming out um, Nintendo just did a re-release of some of their older Mario titles, and I went and paid $60, full price, just to buy them all again, because I like them that much. So I'm, I'm definitely a Mario fan. I think the Mario movie, uh, the old one, starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as the original Mario Brothers, and Dennis Hopper as Bowser, uh, is, <laughs> Rest in peace, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, uh, is is not is not good. I haven't actually seen it, so I should probably, maybe we should watch it before the show, just to yeah, get a piece I, of it. I've seen it, and I can just so like I said, it's this gritty. It's it's like if you made RoboCop or Demolition Man or Judge Dredd and wanted to make it with Mario Brothers characters, like that's what it looks like. It is really, it's I, I don't really know, odd. Yeah. Well, they went with this like really realistic, real world world take when these are like, and this should have totally been an animated thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe once you have a few good animated films, maybe you make a live action one at some point. But it, it was, it's really bizarre and uh, really surprising take you know i read an interview a few years ago with john leguizamo back when he was making that movie it was like the beginning of his career right he was just getting started he was like luigi in the mario brothers movie so he was kind of excited about it, even though it was weird apparently to hear him tell it bob hoskins was walking around set like this is the death of my career like i'm, <laughs> I'm never coming back from this um so not everybody was excited with the original super mario brothers movie but you make a great point uh they've recently made detective pikachu which is a video game adaptation they made the sonic movie which is a video game adaptation and both of those work pretty well they actually made a bunch of money for what it's worth i genuinely have faith in the mario the idea of a mario movie the secret it's just like embrace the style of the games and make it, I mean, like you can see in this graphic we've got on Facebook Live if you're watching the show. Uh, you know, it's it's goofy and bubbly and looks great. Mario's a cute little plumber. Stick with this. 
This is your character design. Just do this on screen. It's the same problem they had with Sonic in the Sonic movie, right? Don't redesign him. Don't make him some cool thing. Do this. Make Bowser look like Bowser. Make Peach look like Princess Peach. It'll work, I think. We should totally revisit because it it would be like if, you know, if Chris Nolan wanted to do the dark, gritty Super Mario (laughs) film, like... Um, man, it, it's really something else, and you can see why n- that scared Nintendo away from films. Dude, yeah, they did not want to do stuff after that, and I can't blame them. That was supposed to be like the biggest uh, as their property, as their prime IP, and now they haven't touched them. So we'll see. Uh, they're also, for what it's worth, it's not exactly movie news, but they're making a Mario Land out in Tokyo, a Super Mario like uh, um, um, theme park, amusement park, and you can see like overhead shots of it that people have got with drones because you can't get in to see it. But it's coming along. They're doing some Mario stuff. So for what it's worth, Nintendo is investing in uh, transmedia as we call it outside of video games in other news uh jim caviezel says the passion sequel is coming the sequel to mel gibson's passion of the christ and it'll be the biggest film in world history andy what the hell is this headline what is this about (laughs) so let's go um let's talk about some history of this film so in 2003 this very gritty realistic um story of of the the passion of, of the christ saint matthew's passion which detailed the last 12 hours of uh the death of christ including brutal um whippings and crucifixion and it was a huge hit it was made for 30 million dollars at that point it was the highest grossing rated r movie um and it's one of the violent, most violent things you've ever seen i remember robert roger ebert said it was the most violent film he had ever seen because you basically see a guy get tortured for an hour and a half Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lot, but it was a huge hit, huge hit among amongst uh, re- religious groups, and uh, made a lot of money. And and he did not, um, Mel Gibson did did not like uh, campaign for Oscars with this, and it totally could have like because the film looks really good. It, it's a really accurate period piece. Jim yeah. Caviezel could have easily won, uh, you know, best. Uh, Best, best actor. actor, best yeah. actor, e- easily. Um, but he that's not the reason he made this film. Anyways. There has been talk in recent years of doing a sequel, which would cover the uh, kind of resurrection and other kind of things that happen after uh, the crucifixion. And uh, it looks like it's they're moving forward and they're ho- trying to make this movie actually happen. Um, so I feel like this has been a rumor for a little while, right? You've heard about this before. Surely it's not just me. I yes. feel like I've heard about a Passion 2 happening. Apparently, this is Gibson's like third draft on the script uh, to hear AV Club tell it while we're getting this article. Um, and Jim Caviezel's like totally on board, which is interesting. One, because people said, hey, playing Jesus Christ will kill your career. Which, like, <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily true. He's done some great TV work since. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he was never a huge star to begin with, so it was... I Believe it or not, I'm actually a big Caviezel fan. Uh, Frequency, back in the day with Dennis Quaid, rock-solid movie and still holds up great. And has also been adapted to television since. But anyway, um, I think that guy's great, and I thought he was great in that movie. I saw it when I was a kid, uh, went with my church um, to a rated R film, because that was just something we all thought was cool, because it's about <laughs> go, Jesus. Go, go watch Torture It was porn. a lot, dude. Yeah, I, I really underestimated that R rating. I was a kid, I didn't know any better. But the idea of like the passion two is kind of hilarious uh i mean in all the wrong for all the wrong reasons but like apparently it's gonna be called the passion of the christ resurrection like because of course it is right and it's gonna be about uh the savior's return from the dead (laughs) performance of miracles and ascension into heaven like it's exactly what you think it would be but something about it like i don't know it's so funny because it's there are a lot of sequels called da 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 
resurrection. Yeah. You know, alien resurrection, Resident Evil resurrection, whatever. Sure. Hellraiser um, resurrection. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But this is like actually <laughs> part of what happened in the story. It's a literal resurrection. Res- resurrection so. Right. Most horror films usually run with that title. What uh, The Exorcist. No, The Exorcist of Resurrection. But the point is, uh, it's it's it's. It's a goofy story. Um, you know, if you know anything about Mel Gibson and his history, it's particularly goofy, especially considering what are apparently some new allegations of anti-Semitism from Winona Ryder back in June of this year. Uh, she had some things to say about Mel Gibson, and I haven't I haven't looked at that because that's not what we do on this show. But um, you know, the passion too, man. I'd be really interested to see if that this gets made. Um, so the other the other issue that I kind of think is like Jim Caviezel Caviezel's too old at this point. Like how dare because he would be Christ. He's fifty now, and he should be playing playing a th- mid thirties person. Also, the, there there's the issue of um, you know, uh, whitewashing. Because if you let that, would have totally been the accusation back then. That's into true. The two thousand three. So yeah. Um, but I guess he he since he was a part of the original, he'll probably be part of this one as well. I mean, he was really good. You make a good point. If they had campaigned for best actor, he might have won it that year. Was it two thousand three? What won in two thousand three? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'll I figure so. it out. Anyway. I think it's 2003. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. Um I I would love I would love nothing more than to buy a ticket to go see The Passion of the Christ Resurrection directed by Mel Gibson. Um we'll see. Uh, far le- far less torture, of course. Probably probably miracles though, which is cool. You know, hey, who doesn't love a couple of miracles? Um one more story speaking of miracles. Uh Tom Cruise is going to space. This this story broke today, and I posted it on, on our on our show outline. Have you had a chance to read this, Andy? Or yeah, I I, I I glimpsed through it. Okay. Um. So Tom Cruise is working with both NASA and Elon Musk to go to space to film a movie, or, or at least part of a movie. Uh, we don't know anything about it. Uh, no title, no you know premise, outline, any, anything like that. But he will. Um, apparently the shuttle is booked and he'll be part of a, I guess it's part of a tourist actually, like a tourist trip. So he won't be the only one on it, um, in 2021, but he'll be in space to, uh, shoot a movie, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's part of the dragon tourist mission, uh, through SpaceX and yeah, NASA is also partnering with them. So far there are three tourist seats available on the flight and one of them is director doug lyman one of them is tom cruise and they have a third seat still open i'm assuming that's going to be your cinematographer i was going to say you need a a camera yeah your camera op is who that's going to be that's going to be somebody with a real good eye who can who can work a lens and and a focus ring real fast but um man I'm, i'm kind of just stunned by this news i guess i'm reminded of like when lance bass bought a ticket to go to mars in like 2001 or whatever from nsync and we all thought that was hot news uh i'd love to see if this actually gets made i like seeing elon musk's name on it that guy obviously is known for his um bombastic ideas in the media so for all we know maybe it does actually happen but what are we looking at here like mission impossible 7 right i mean it's got to be what, um, what, I, what I else is he doing that's going to space that's going to make... It could make... be something else. But, you know, I'm not surprised at all mm. because Cruz is is that kind of... He's he's dedicated to the role. He's dedicated specifically to big uh, action. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all. You know, he'll be, he'll be go... He'll go to Mars if we let him. Do you think... Um... No, this is this this okay. A private question, just just for Andy here. Everybody else can tune out for a second. His church doesn't have a problem with this, right? He's like a he's one of the science people, right? Is that? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay, um, cool. I, it's I probably we'll fine. See, we'll, we'll see. It's yeah. probably fine. Okay, <laughs> we'll, cool. We'll see. <laughs> no, there's an issue. Probably sure. not, right? He's Tom freaking Cruise. He's like the mascot for Scientology. I'm sure they will let him go wherever he wants, uh, including 
beyond the pale of reality. So, I, I, you know, it, it's exciting. It's supposed to be something, uh, it's a, a tourist mission, October 2021, whenever this thing would actually go. So whatever this film is, it's got to be way heavy in... Uh, in 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 production pre-production is what I'm looking looking for and my my money is it's a Mission Impossible movie because it's got to be something you know people will pay to see and the best way to do that is to put it in a storied franchise people already want to see more of right I mean it, yes but at the same time if you come you can come out with any action movie and if you say the actor went to space people are gonna see it like that's they're, true. they're that's gonna be a huge PR piece that they're going to be able to to use in in when when they're shopping the film around and in promotion and marketing and all that like it's going to be it sells itself we uh (laughs) we literally went to space for you come see it speaking of space uh because this this was a rumor we haven't actually really entertained this but like if you heard these rumors that like fast nine right vin diesel's going to space have you heard about this well, I I have I assumed it was just the series, not actually going to space. Oh but. no, no, yeah, it's not actually going to space. But like, that's <laughs> yes, been a, yeah, yeah, that's that's of been course. a gag. Yeah, it's if they don't gag-y. if they don't go to space, I'll be disappointed. Right, that's been a gag around Fast and Furious for a while. That like, when are they going to go to space? Huh? How how are you going to one up the next Fast and Furious movie? You got to you got to take them to space. So supposedly <laughs> in the stall for Fast Nine because it's been pushed back because of coronavirus, of course. Some of the actors and actresses have still been going and doing interviews. And in one of them, like Ludacris or somebody slipped up and said like Vin's in space or something. And then Michelle Rodriguez kind of confirmed it. She was like, oh God, did they say that? Okay, well, I guess this is what happens. You delay a film. So like it might be, might be fake news, but for what it's worth, action gonna, movies going to space, baby. Why not? Let's do gonna it. They're going to be time traveling soon. Seriously, we can't be that far off. Uh, and speaking of time traveling, we should probably talk about our first film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so give me just a minute to get things turned around. The movie is Netflix's The Devil All the Time. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, honey. Happy birthday to you. Well... This was your daddy's. Brought back from the war. So The Devil All the Time is the story of a young man in 1960s backwoods America who is struggling to get by in poverty and uh, understand the world around him. It's a story about people in these towns who don't really travel and don't really go anywhere and really embrace God and religion as the thing that that enlightens their lives. And unfortunately, it's also um, what threatens their livelihood, uh, specifically the devil as named in the title, the devil all the time. Tom Holland plays Arvin, uh, a young man who's troubled uh, by the people around him and unfortunately has to resort to violence to solve his problems because that seems to be the only way he knows to do things. Uh, It features a star-studded cast, uh, of many wonderful actors and actresses who I'm excited to talk about, including people like uh, Bill Skarsgård, uh, uh, Robert Pattinson, Harry Melling, um, Mia Wasikowska, Eliza Scanlon. Tons of really cool people in this movie. Uh, it's it's about two, uh, two hours and 18 minutes long. So it's definitely a bit of a watch, but I'm excited to get into it. And it is, of course, based off a book that we can talk about a little as well. Andy, what did you think of The Devil All the Time? <laughs> So I was really surprised by this because we've reviewed, I think, four Netflix movies in the last like four months or so, and they've all been really pretty disappointing, <laughs> you know, yeah. including a number of our summer, uh, you know, starting with our, our summer blockbusters with like things like Extraction and The Old Guard, and then most recently, uh, 
I'm thinking of ending things. It hasn't been a, a good track record. And I, I, while this had a great cast, I was really skeptical of it. But I actually really enjoyed it. it it's this really dark Southern Gothic tale. I, I describe it as Pulp Fiction. It's like backwoods Pulp Fiction because you have all these storylines and timelines that overlap and intersect and weave around each other by across by about 20 years. Um, you, you start with Arvin's father coming back from World War II, having difficulty adjusting, um, and then lots of kind of dramatic and tragic things happening with him and the people around him and the people in this this environment, in this community. And it's about things like cycles of violence, uh, about both... Um, the absence and presence of religion and uh, religion is a very strong theme in here. And as you said, cycles of violence, I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. I was really surprised. Some really great performances. Um, it's a little long. It's it's, and it's a slow burn, but I, I think it's, it's really great. Um, the cast is phenomenal. Some actors get more screen time than others, um, but everyone's really pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I was actually really pleased with it as well. Um, like you said, the last few Netflix films we've watched have not been awesome. And they kind of have seem to have this reputation of being just kind of subpar. Um, <laughs> fortunately, every once in a while, they turn out something really great, like like Alfonso Cuaron's Roma or, or, or even Mudbound from a few years ago. Um, so on occasion, like they'll turn out something good, something intimate on a smaller budget, but with a good director and good actors and a good story, um, that'll carry you through the watch. And this is one of those movies. I'm pleased to say this is one of those movies. Um, this is actually entertaining. It's a little long (laughs) and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but it's got some great acting in it and it's got an interesting story and it has a surprising amount of violence, um, that that is just shocking enough to keep you interested, um, for, for the longer monologues. Um, so let's jump into our story proper. Like you said, the film opens on Bill Skarsgård, uh, playing a young Willard Russell, who is a soldier in the Pacific who happens upon a, uh, another, another Marine who's been crucified by the Japanese, uh, and that sets off a chain of events loosely related to religion, mostly related to violence in his life that travels from his wife to his son, Arvin, who is played by Tom Holland, 20 years later in 1965. Um, through this span of 20 years in Ohio and West Virginia, we are in backwoods country. All right. These are houses that don't have water. They have a well outside. These are people who look like they haven't had a shower ever in their lives. Uh, and, and ultimately... <laughs> Uh, they're people who are just just getting by, right? And, and go to church every week to their one church, and they 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 they're just they're, they're, they're doing their thing. This is forty five to sixty five, so it's it's a good chunk of time. And and we get these kind of wonderful little set pieces uh, framed around a lot of these actors and actresses, right? Robert Pattinson plays a a preacher in in nineteen sixty five, and kind of Tom Tom, Tom Holland's timeline. Uh, Haley Bennett plays uh, Bill Skarsgård's wife in nineteen forty five, who's Arvin's mother. Riley Coe, Riley Keo, is that how you say yeah. it? Uh, she plays kind of this interesting hitchhiker character alongside Jason Clark, her husband, who's a photographer. Sebastian Stan plays plays a a, a, a cop who's running running for election as sheriff in town, so he kind of has his own motives. Um, you get these wonderfully interesting storylines that are woven very much like Pulp Fiction. It's exactly how you described it. It's a great way to, to say what's happening here because they're not necessarily happening at the same time. They're kind of happening over this chunk of time, but they all kind of run into each other. One person will talk to somebody from another loose storyline or they'll go to service where the preacher from another storyline is interacting with somebody else. 
And you get this wonderful kind of interwoven tapestry of like violence, <laughs> but, but with actors and actresses who are very good at emoting what's happening to them. So like you do get a pretty captivating story. Um, I think this would have been much weaker with a weaker cast and our cast is pretty fantastic across the board. Yeah, absolutely. The The cast is, is top-notch, and we everyone gets a, to, a time to shine. Some people aren't in it as much. Mia Wasikowska is, isn't in the film very much. Um, and other people, like Riley Keough and Jason Clark, they, they're important characters, but they're also not quite... It. Again, it's like Pulp Fiction. You you're, you have like these little vignettes or these scenes that, that are really important, but then you may not see a character for a long time or they, the way they kind of weave in, in and out of the story. Um we have some English actors doing Southern accents. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this which, is a, <laughs> which Go mostly ahead. works. Uh, Tom Holland uh, as as Arvin, uh, his is really good, really convincing. He he looks like a backwoods and sounds like a backwoods kind of guy. Robert Pattinson is a little over the top and a little inconsistent, but he's also playing the kind of this slimy preacher, and so it. Um, it kind of fits. It kind of makes it make sense. He's got a, a, a couple of really great, great scenes, um, but it is a little inconsistent. Yeah, um, I, I do want to point out a couple of uh, actors and actresses who did a fantastic job. You're right. The accents are a little bit of a chore. Um, Pattinson was actually um, trending on Twitter the other day after this movie came out because people were ragging on him and his dialect coach in this movie because it was like his accent's not great. But honestly, uh, I watched it with subtitles and like. I don't have any. I didn't have any trouble understanding what he was saying. But then when I turned them off, I was like, okay, I can see this is a little. It's a little hard to hear what he's saying. He's got a couple scenes that are eighty yard, but for what it's worth, I thought Robert Pattinson was great. Tom Holland's fantastic. Harry Melling as Roy Lafferty uh, is is I th- I think kind of underrated in general. The last movie I saw him in was Netflix's uh, uh, the the Old Guard, and I thought he was terrible in that movie. In this movie, I think he's great. Yeah. Um, Bill Skarsgård's great. Riley Keough's great. Mia Wasikowska's great. Sebastian Stan, Jason Clark. I mean, you can just kind of go down the list on IMDb here, and like everybody in here is turning out a really good performance. It reminds me of like an off-Broadway play with a couple of actors and actresses you really like, who even though nothing particularly dynamic is happening on screen, it serves as a great character drama, and they do a fantastic job of like carrying that performance um, and carrying carrying the film for it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention uh, a little bit about the plot that we have a series of stories that interweave and, and that characters come in, in and out of each other's lives. Um, and this is very, very dark. Like there is a lot of death and tragedy yeah. with yeah, all, all these characters. And again, it's it's centered around violence, can, uh, specifically violence kind of enabled by religion. That's, that seems to be uh, one of the themes. This idea of this, like the first image we see of the cross is this horrific um, crucifixion of a, of a soldier. And that horrific image kind of sticks through the 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 whole film like we we see crosses elsewhere and it's it's not like kind of the, the positive message you usually have associated with that symbol it's very dark and it's very violent yeah the the violence is definitely something we need to cover here this is an r rating and it's a pretty hard r um which is not something i normally expect from a netflix film right i expect it to be kind of pg-13 ish but this one leans more on the indie side, and it doesn't shy away from this stuff. Our, our soldier, just an example of, of one brief act of violence in the film, because there are a few. Uh, our soldier at the beginning, who's crucified, is still alive. And he's got, like, the skin flayed from his bones. And you don't see a whole lot of him on screen, but, like, it's sold good enough that you understand what's happening, and it's pretty terrible. And, like, that evil follows our soldier home, 
via you know kind of ptsd and then he kind of transfers that to other people it reminds me of almost something like it follows like the way this like mm-hmm. ideology will just kind of like trail on people a little bit and they can't really shake it and that's what makes the, the title feel so apt i think all of this is due to the book of course this is based off of by the same name um i think it's just a real tight book and it serves really really well as a film adaptation i think had this been just kind of an original screenplay instead of adapted i don't think it would have held up nearly as well um i do we do need to talk about the narration though because there this film is narrated loosely um and it's almost distracting and i wonder if it's something they did in post what do you think andy you know i like the idea and there's some parts where i did appreciate the narration i just felt it needed like a morgan freeman man it needed that kind of narration uh the other thing though that bothered me is that sometimes the narration just kind of is spoiler filled like the the narrator will tell you things that i was like it would be better if you didn't know that and found it out later or it's it witnessed it happen in in the movie and it kind of takes the steam out of out of some of the scenes mm-hmm. oh i see what's going on so uh the 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 narrator, I was trying to figure out who this is. So the narrator is not particularly dynamic, and I think that's kind of what hurts it, because he'll he'll kind of reveal information that's not on screen to just kind of let us know, hey, here's what's going on. And it's such, it's not quite dry enough to work. It's just kind of flat and wooden. Uh, it turns out it's actually... <laughs> I think he's he's the writer of the book, I think, a uh, man named Donald Ray Pollock. So that's that's oh, who they got okay. to do the narration. That's kind of oh, the, wow. the inside track, but that's also what I think kind of hurts it. It does serve... In a couple instances, it does a good job of escalating, what's the best way to say it? Escalating tension, but at the lack of suspense, which I realize sounds counterintuitive, but um, your, your mileage may vary, is guess what I'm saying. I didn't think it was too much. What I did think was odd is Tom Holland, our star uh, and, and the protagonist of the film, doesn't appear until 46 minutes into the film. It's after the, after the entire first act, which is a little weird. Yeah, we we have a lot of setup with, again, uh, the story starts with his father and not only coming back from the war, but like getting married, having having a child and and things like that. But then other stories, other people related to him within the community because the 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 situation that Arvin finds himself in with his family is because of things that have happened in the past. And and again, the past is is a big theme, again, passing down trauma, tragedy, violence through the film. Um, I do want to talk about the runtime. Uh, it's to, long. So it is I, long. I watched this in parts and I shouldn't have, but I waited to way too late to watch this movie. And I ended up watching a chunk of it last night and then the rest of it today. And I think splitting it in half like that was good. You watched the whole, but, but also I should say it was hard for me not to bust my phone out for like a good, for some longer portions of this movie because it's, it's great acting, but ultimately it's not like an action film, right? It's a character drama. So there's going to be a whole lot of people talking and nothing happening. Uh, and that stuff hurts it. Uh, what did you think? Because you watched it all in one go, right? I, I did, but I, I watched it on Sunday afternoon. But I definitely took some breaks, um, you know, and kind of paused it and checked the phone for five minutes and then re- restarted it, uh, that kind of thing. Someone called me at one point, so I was I had a phone call for a little bit sure. as well. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it could definitely trim 10, 15 minutes. It, it, it could still work and be a little bit tighter. Um, I, I think the, the I think the length is the only, my only complaint, and even that it's only slightly. Yeah, I think so, too. So, I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything else we need to cover here. As far as set dressing goes, uh, I think this film is shot digitally. And in a weird way, at the beginning, when it kind of started, I was like, this doesn't look like 1945. This is just like you just rolled a camera out to the woods and started filming. 
But as the film goes on, we start to see performances and we start to see set dressing and stuff. It flushes out to a point where I think it's believable. But something about it, I guess it's shot very modern, but it's supposed to be very old. And I had trouble suspending belief for that. Did you have that issue? Probably not. Not really. I actually, I, th- I thought they did a good job of making it look like the time period that it's supposed to be in between 1945 and 1965, essentially. Yeah, I agree. I thought the acting was good. I thought the accents were good. I like the story. I like who's in it. Um, I like a lot that's going on in this movie. Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend The Devil All the Time? I would with some extreme uh, content war- warnings. <laughs> uh, not, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. It, it it's, a, it's a tense character drama with these winding stories. Like I said, it's like backwoods pulp fiction. That's probably the, the best description. Um, but it is very violent. Uh, there is a lot of like death and tragedy and then it's it's just a hair too long uh, for my taste but outside of that I actually really enjoyed it and would recommend it yeah I'd recommend it too I'd recommend it as well the problem is I don't know who I'd recommend it to that's the problem I I I don't know who I would tell to watch this movie I can't tell my parents to watch it because it's way too violent and they're not gonna be <laughs> into that maybe my dad would but it's a little dry I can't tell I think younger audiences to watch it because they're going to feel like it's boring. Like, I don't, I don't know who exactly this is made for, but I did enjoy it and I'm glad I watched it. So if you listen to this review and you're curious, if you're thinking, okay, that sounds kind of cool. Or you're scrolling by it on Netflix. Understand it is a hard R, but if you want to get past that, it's a pretty good time and you could definitely do worse on Netflix. So thumbs up. I actually I was like gonna the say, time. It's, it's the, it's the best that we've watched on Netflix in the last, I'm trying to think of the four movies we did. What's, I can't think of what we did between extraction and the old guard. We did something in June. Red sea diving resort. <clears throat> that was before, but anyways, <laughs> it, this is the be- the best Netflix that we've done in, in a while. Yeah. So, I agree. so I, I, um, yeah, I think so this, that, go ahead. Ple- just so that, that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I think this will be one we point to in the future when we say, why can't Netflix make more movies like Roma or this? Like, I think this will be, a high point for them, a high watermark in some fashion um, for what they can do on a limited budget. So calling me impressed. The devil all the time, not too shabby. That being said, we should move on to our middle section. Andy, please uh, take it away. It's time for the death of cinema. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about this new article that came out recently that said Disney's Mulan has reportedly already made more money than Tenet. Uh, so through some, n- not hard numbers, but through some speculation, um, it's it's uh, speculated that Mulan has made $260 million off their rentals, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of amazing. And Tenet has just crossed just, just over $200 million. Um, so way under budget, these were both supposed to be, you know, billion dollar properties or at least close to it. I think Mulan could have, uh, made that number, but what's shocking is that, you know, Tenet came out in theaters. They, they made, they staked their claim. They put their, you know, they drew the line in the sand and said, we are coming out in theaters. You have to see Tenet only in theaters and it is doing well overseas. It's made about, uh, 170 million or so, uh, but, home viewing usa viewing has not been good they've only made about 30 million dollars and it's dropping i think it made just over four million in this past weekend yeah um so it's headed for vod probably sooner rather than later and then meanwhile mulan who's that's only been out uh, i guess about two weeks 260 million of video on demand Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty shocking, and I think that's it's a scary time for theaters because it, that shows people will stay home and pay this premium for new films. 
Yeah, so let's get into the numbers a little bit and explain where this came from. So an analytics firm called Seven Park, right, determined that nearly 29% of U.S. households with a Disney Plus subscription bought, bought Mulan through mid-September. So 30% of U.S. homes that have Disney Plus paid $29.99 to watch Mulan. All right, 30%. They're assuming about half of Disney Plus subscribers are probably in the United States. The other half are probably spread globally. That's a pretty good assumption based on how people watch films. Uh, so doing that quick count, that means Mulan would have earned somewhere around $261 million here in the States. Now, those are some loose numbers. There's some assumptions there. But for what it's worth, Tenet made like $30 million. And that's like including Canada, right? That's like really good numbers. That's like assuming the best of North America. Tenet turned out like $30 million. So Disney uh, crushed Tenet. According to this, uh, I mean, it could—it's speculation, but I mean, even if it's even if it's far off, I mean, they're still they're still beating them, which tells us a couple of things. One, people want to stay home and watch movies. Two, people are willing to pay more to stay home and watch movies. And three, oh my God, Disney's plan actually kind of worked, and they are turning mad profit on Mulan. Well, and they not quite not quite yet. I mean, they probably need to make double. They probably need to hit 400 million, but they probably will because they're pretty close to it. Um Mulan hasn't done real great overseas either. It's it's kind of doing the opposite of what what Tenet is. Uh, in e- even places like China, uh, Mulan has not made a lot of money. Yeah. Um but uh te- and Tenet has been doing well over there. But like you said, it it shows that the people will stay home and people aren't comfortable going to the theater yet. So why is this the death of cinema, right? A couple of reasons. Uh, one, if you don't mind, let me speculate. <laughs> go ahead, go, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, one, because people aren't going to the, to the cinema anymore, and that's a problem. And two, and we should address that first, but also very briefly, I want to talk about Disney charging this much and it actually kind of working and what that might mean. So first, let's talk about people not going to the movies. Obviously, the pandemic, obviously coronavirus, but also word of mouth, right? How many of you... That listen to the show, I mean, you probably know theaters are open, but how many of you know people that don't had no idea theaters are open right now? I got my hair cut a few weeks ago, believe it or not, and and they, my, my barber had no idea theaters were open. She's like, I haven't been seeing movies since February. I was like, yeah, they're open and running, and you can go to them and watch movies. Like, no clue. And I guess that's a fault of advertising, but also just kind of where people's heads at are at right now, right? Nobody wants to go to the movies. Yeah, yeah, people just aren't, aren't comfortable, and it's, it's showing that this model... Kind of works, and also Disney only planned to do this for this movie. Like this is a one-off; they don't want to do this to, with any of their properties. But they're showing that, I mean, it can it can work. And yeah. I mean, and you're still you're still not making the kind of money you would with a blockbuster if you release in theaters. You're not going to hit a billion dollars off video on demand, but you can you can it's still really profitable depending on what kind of what size of movie you put out there. Like Trolls World Tour, probably make, making good profit, but. uh the these big two hundred million dollar films that need to make double their their budget to make any money, it, it might be more difficult. At the same time, I it looks like Tenant will might be okay in the long run, and it looks like they'll probably at least break even. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Mulan. Right, and nobody's gonna fault Christopher Nolan and Tenant for this. Um, you know, I've heard some people say, "Hey, this was a stupid way to release your movie." I've heard people outright upset that he's driving people to theaters because there's an increased chance of getting coronavirus. Like they're they're saying this is genuinely a crisis of health. I don't necessarily feel that way. I guess I kind of do, but I still went and saw it twice, so I'd be a hypocrite if I said I feel I, I agree with that. But the fact is people maybe just aren't ready yet to go back to the movies and there's certainly going to be some runway now because we don't have any big blockbusters coming out until black widow on november 6th assuming that doesn't get pushed back which 
I have a feeling it will. I think you have a feeling it will. Yeah, I think that's going to get put. Hold on. What do you actually think about that? Real talk. What's your... Is, it gonna, is that going to get pushed I, back or not? I think it'll get pushed back. Yeah. James Bond might hang on because it's it's over the um, Thanksgiving weekend. But, yeah. uh, but if things aren't... Uh, you know, I said this when uh, I had a, my interview earlier <laughs> this week. Um, it's kind of a catch-22. You need new films to bring audiences back to cinema, but you need audiences regularly going to the cinema to bring new films. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think you can just drop one film and get everyone back. You have to make make it a habit which would mean releasing new films regularly which studios aren't going to do so i don't it's just, it's the kind of thing where no one wants to give studios don't want to release and audiences don't want to go so the only one who loses out are theaters right the ideal would have like a slate right have like five movies that come out of the same weekend just like back to back all advertising telling everybody to go back to the movies that's what you need you need the advertising power of multiple studios working in conjunction to drive people back to the theaters and then as soon as they start going back they'll see posters they'll see what else is running they'll get their popcorn and they'll think hey you know what this is a pretty good time we should do this again next month or next week or whenever you know that that's what you need i think one film catered to one audience which is adult action uh especially an r-rated film that's gonna hurt it yeah like that that doesn't stand the biggest chance of coming back swinging i've heard people say maybe black widow doesn't either but i would argue black widow might have a better shot because it's pg-13 it's marvel and you know what maybe the world needs a hero so that might work now we should talk about disney plus right and disney uh not only did disney make a killing on this movie which i myself said would probably not happen because nobody would be stupid enough to pay 30 dollars for, for, for a movie outside of andy and i <laughs> on this too. podcast right uh, not only did they make a killing on this movie, apparently the opening weekend of Mulan, Disney reported an extra 68% spike in Disney Plus downloads. That doesn't mean subscriptions. That means you downloaded the app. But 68% of their current user base growth increase in one weekend just from releasing this movie. So not only did they get more subscribers, they made a ton of money and they charged people a boatload for a movie that ultimately is kind of mediocre. <laughs> Yeah. What has the House of Mouse learned from this? Because it's not good for us, the consumer. It means they've learned they can charge a bunch and people will pay it. And that's not that's 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 not good for little old us, I don't think. Well, it, it means that, you know, streaming is king. Like uh, they have all, all the car. If you can release online, you have a lot of power. And that's where theaters just have no leverage in all this. You know, the, the studios can go directly to your home. Why do they need a, a middleman, especially for, you know, some smaller size film that, you know, wouldn't do well in, in the theater. If these big movies aren't doing well, you know, smaller releases won't. It's true. I guess what what upsets me about this is one feeling like we're getting the short end of the stick on this um two having to pay 30 dollars for mulan again which is not that good uh and three um the disney man it it it, it's hard to deny it seems like they knew what they were doing right when they announced 29.99 for a movie when everybody else is doing 19.99 they're charging 10 dollars extra that seems like a sham that's no good they made a killing And we'll never know without Disney's official numbers, which they'll never publish, because if they did, then all of their competition would pick up on this idea and run with it. So it's in Disney's best interest to keep this secret potion of themselves. But the fact is, this kind of (laughs) sucks for people who want to see movies, I think. It it definitely definitely does. Um, Like I said, they only wanted to do this as a one-off. And even if they... Even if it was a winning strategy as far as minimizing how much money they lose, it's still not going to make the kind of money it would have in normal settings. Like this, Mulan would have easily been, I think, a half billion, billion dollar movie. Yeah. Well, 
We'll never know for sure, uh, and we'll never know exactly how well it's doing on Disney+, Plus. but the fact is, it might be doing better than Tenet, and that is a surprise I certainly didn't expect. Um, and that's 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 the death of cinema, I guess. Any other thoughts on this, Andy? I think I'm ready to move on. All right. Well, Andy is taking the summary on our next review. I'm excited to hear what you think about this, because I've got some hot takes. Uh, Andy, please take it away. RBG. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. Uh, So with the passing of Justice Ginsburg last week, we thought it was going to be appropriate to review the 2018 documentary from Hulu, um, which is where you can find that. So this documentary covers uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life uh, from growing up, going to law school uh, at Harvard, and then going, uh, starting her crusade for women's rights and equal rights, and eventually uh, getting nominated to uh, the Supreme Court and and her kind of tenure through there. So it covers her, her entire life. It has interviews with family, with other pre- presidents. Bill Clinton is in this. Um, you know, some old footage of, of Joe Biden is, as well. Um, and so that's what what it's it's a documentary about her. It's very straight, straightforward. Uh, it covers it goes into depth into some of the cases that the big cases that she worked to, uh, you know, help bring down uh, sexist laws both against men and women. Um, so it, it was a really it was a really good documentary. I, I learned a lot from it, and it seems very timely uh, considering uh, she just passed. Yeah, Zach? so it's an interesting it's an interesting thing this documentary is trying to do uh, it's trying to cater to a couple of different audiences ultimately it's telling a story about ruth bader ginsburg and that's what's most important um but it's trying to address a her history as a woman coming up through the harvard law program as as one of nine women in a class of 500 men uh who's constantly questioned and and antagonized uh for her gender uh in her profession two it's trying to I think honor like what she's done in the Supreme court and how she sifted from what was originally a pretty moderate position to a surprisingly liberal uh, justice and some of the really incredible cases she's, she's, she's kind of uh, been a part of. And three, it's trying to explain how she's become what is a pop culture icon um, in more recent years. Uh, This idea of notorious RBG and graffiti and tattoos and t-shirts and stuff, Um, how that happened and, and, and what exactly she how she's responded to that and what's that what that's meant for her career since so it's got a lot to do uh and, and this movie wastes no time it is uh i mean an hour 38 it's just over 90 minutes so i mean we're talking feature length here and it, it has to move very efficiently how it does this is it frames rbg's story around her uh senate trial to become a justice in 1993 uh like you said uh, headed over by surprisingly a young joe biden who's who's really odd to see in this movie it's like oh there he is sitting directly across the way from her just asking her questions um uh, so that's that's kind of a neat thing uh, for history but this documentary was made in 2018 it's a cnn films production i think it is a little dry um but i think also talking about a supreme court justice is going to be dry so what this movie does makes some of those more i, th- I think it presents an interesting look at the woman that's what i think yeah, yeah it's, it's very informative because i think that like you said uh ruth bader ginsburg is a cultural icon i feel like she's exactly that to a lot of people and a lot of people don't actually know why she's 
a you know an icon and like why like yes she's on the supreme court but like how did she get there what was you know her her history of of activism through the the 70s and 80s and into the 90s and even before that is what's really important um and 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 i myself didn't really know what specific like what cases act did she actually try and this is what the document the documentary covers is a number of these really important uh, cases in the in the 70s that that were blatantly discriminatory and and reflected discriminatory attitudes and that even you know came up in you know as late as you know 20 you know 2007 2008 2013 so still fighting uh for these equal rights for for both sides so I'm really pleased with the presentation in this film. Um, you know, it's not every day a Supreme Court justice gets a documentary made after them, and it's definitely not every day it's like featured on Hulu. Um, obviously, it was featured because of the news recently, um, which is nothing short of unfortunate. Um, but I, I like that this film feels like wholesome in a way. It, do, it doesn't feel like just this milk toast kind of look at this boring uh, Supreme Court judge. It's it's more than that. It's it's kind of got a heart and a through line to it that I enjoy. The the directors Julie Cohen and Betsy West were able to get a hold of a lot of really influential figures in politics. I mean, we're not just talking to Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself. We're also talking to Bill Clinton, who who, who put her on the, on the on the Supreme Court. We're talking to senators like Orrin Hatch in Utah, who vehemently disagree with Ruth Bader Ginsburg 99% of the time, but we're still willing to sit for this interview. I think their connections to CNN gave them a lot of, like, really great archival footage. It gave them access to a lot of places they're not normally able to get to. And that makes this feel much more palpable. It makes it feel much more real. And it makes this feel closer, I think, to the person. And they also were able to get a ton of ton of historical footage, right? Black and white photos, news about her life, headlines, things that kind of come together to create a really great picture of the woman proper. And I think looking at the presentation as a whole, um, it works great. I do want to talk about the pop culture stuff, but we'll get to that at the end because that is the end of the documentary when they really start to get in that. So let's I'll push that for now. But Andy, what did you think? Um, well, like I said, I, I I really enjoyed it. I thought thought it's really good. the the th- The things about her going to Harvard and um, when she was first going to college in in the fifties, and I can only imagine what it was like standing up for equal rights and for women's rights in that time. You know, she tells us this famous story of uh, the the dean or whoever at Harvard would take. Uh, all the the female students, which was about ten of them, and have a dinner, and would ask them, "Why are you taking a seat that should go to a man?" Like just blatant. I mean, blatant, blatant uh, sexism, and you know, and it's you know, she it wasn't just about the law; it's about pushing thinking into people's minds, like having them think about you know these laws and how they discrimination affects women but but everyone because she also tried cases that were sexist against men and that discriminated against men because she wanted to point out that it was again it, it affects both sides mm-hmm. yeah and 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 it's really enlightening to see not only was she married when she was going to harvard uh, to her high school sweetheart man named marty uh they got married at 18 um and stayed married through all of marty's life he passed away in 2010 i think um but also uh, that she had a child that she had a two-year-old she was trying to take care of while going to school and manage marty who was sick with cancer at the time like so she was burning the candle at both ends from a very young age and also trying to be one of nine women in this program and excel and get on the harvard law review which even then you had to be in like the top 25 percent of this class of 500 plus students and she did all of it 
<laughs> she got over it, got through the hump, kept going, and that helped drive who she became when she started working her way towards becoming a Supreme Court justice, which is particularly enthralling because, like I said, the film is framed around that in particular. She's telling her story in 1993 to Joe Biden and friends, and then also we get cuts to now when she's reflecting on those moments and how she did that and how she got to where she's at. And it makes this really good kind of like time travel-y story where we're getting a look at how she felt then versus how she feels now, which is great because then we start to get into the cases, right? Which are fun, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, I, I mean, I, I have a big interest in, in the law and, and legal things. So when they start talking about these cases and explaining, you know, what was very blatant uh, discrimination, one one case um, early on was uh, about a housing allowance that was denied to a woman in, in the military. Um, it, then it also went to the, uh, and I remember when this happened, the, the VMI uh, case in in the 90s about about uh, VMI was an all all male military institute um, and when two women tried to get in they were deni- initially denied and it went to the Supreme Court and it you know was found to be uh, unconstitutional and uh, discriminatory. Yeah, it does a great job of providing her statements uh, voiced by her either through when she said it in like old recordings or they had her like re-say them now and it'll cut back and forth between her reading them in 20, 2018 versus her saying them way back when she said them in the 90s and that gives you a really cool kind of legacy throughout history. And, and they do a great job of showing, hey, here's what VMI looked like in the 90s. Here's how it looks like today. You know, and here's in the 90s when people were screaming at Ruth Bader Ginsburg because they were mad at her on the street versus now when VMI is holding like a ceremony for her and there's an audience full of people who are excited to meet her and find out more and VMI is thanking her for all that she's done for their for their school. Um, I, I think she had a really great ability to kind of look forward and say, hey, you shouldn't think of adding women to your to your military school as... A, a bad thing for the men here. You should think of it as progress for women and progress for society and progress for America. And ultimately, that's what it turned out to be, I think. So in that way, I think she was pretty good at doing what she did. Now, as George W. Bush got into office and added two Supreme Court justices and other Supreme Court justices passed away, we move into 2016 when Donald Trump takes office. Two more conservative judges get added. The court starts to shift and we have this wonderful graphic where she originally, when she joins the court in 93, she's kind of in the middle and she just slowly slides over to the liberal side as things start to tilt a little bit and she starts to dissent more. She starts to voice, hey, I don't agree with where these practices are going. I don't agree, I don't agree with the Voting Rights Act being suspended. Like these, these things need to change. And that's where she starts to pick up this reputation, right? Which the internet soon grabbed a hold of. Right. That, that's where as she becomes bigger and uh yeah like you said her she started to have more and more dissenting opinions as the the court kind of started to lean more uh to the conservative side uh and yeah like you said she becomes this huge cultural icon um you know she she gets parodied on on snl by um kate mckinnon thank you kate Kate mckinnon uh you know and and she has this iconic look you know the the collar and this was interesting to learn so the collar that she wore around the robes was you know that there's an opening that's meant for a tie and she figured a way to make, well, I want to wear something that a woman would wear. And so she has like this whole closet full of, of kind of, um, I don't know what you call them collars that she, that she wears depending on what's like happening with these kids. Doily looking kind of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's really cool to find that those are sent to her by people. Like, she had the first couple made, but after that, like, people send them to her. Like, the state of Hawaii sent her this really cool one that she shows off. And, like, you get these really cool intimate moments where they had her sit down and watch the Kate McKinnon SNL bits of her and filmed her reaction live, you know, and and, and scrolled through Tumblr and was like, look at these memes of you. What do you think of this? And um, this this opera she was a part of in 2016, two days after Donald Trump's uh, election. It's just some really cool, candid, modern moments of this woman who I think at first glance seems kind of like this old, feeble character, but is actually still pretty sharp. At least she seems to be in the documentary. Um, and I was really impressed by that. You know, it, it gives you a lot of faith in the system. Typically, I think people think of Supreme Court justices as kind of these older folks who are out of touch. And, and while she might have been a little out of touch with modernity, um, I think she was pretty sharp at least according to our filmmakers here. Yeah, like I said, like I said before, an incredible force for uh, equal rights, for uh, rights for uh, both minorities and women um, and men as, as well. That's what uh, sometimes people, people forget. Again, discrimination affects everyone. Yeah, I agree. The only other thing I have to say about this, uh, while I enjoyed the woman and I enjoyed the subject and I enjoyed the filmmaking, I think the f- documentary was a little dry in its presentation. I, I, the only thing I had to chalk that up to is that we're talking about the Supreme Court and politics. I, I, I've been spoiled by documentaries as of late. I think a lot of them can get really imaginative with presentation. And this one plays it pretty by the numbers, but it is a CNN film. So, of course, it's going to, right? Like a lot of its staff is going to be people who have been doing this for years for television. And, and it hits all the notes it needs to. I wish it rang a little lighter, uh, uh, especially considering news uh, uh, as of late regarding RBG but for what it's worth I, I did enjoy this a lot Andy any thoughts before recommendations I'm ready Andy would you recommend RBG yeah absolutely um, it's a really well made doc- documentary very informative and like I said I think a lot of people don't really know a lot about her outside of her being kind of a meme and a cultural icon like they don't know the cases they don't know why she is as important as she is so i I think that the documentary does a really good job of of telling you that and bringing up all these cases that that she that she uh oversaw or brought to the supreme court yeah i think it's a great look back at the life uh, of 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 a woman who had to do a whole whole lot of work um you know to, to to create some progress for herself and the woman around her. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's available on Hulu. I'd, I'd absolutely recommend it. Uh, it's you know an hour thirty eight. It's not that long. Like you you can you you can you can squeeze out some time for that. That's not too shabby. And if you're looking for a documentary, something that's a little bit more timely, um, I think this is really good. It's it, it also it's worth mentioning. It's not like a tearjerker at the end or anything. It's actually pretty hopeful. Um, so I think it, it ends on a note that's going to feel endearing, regardless of the headlines uh, <laughs> that are out on the day you watch it. So. Give it a look. RBG's pretty good, I think. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think you'll enjoy it, too. With that being said, Andy, I think we're at the end of the show. Was this a short show this week? This felt shorter than... (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. A little bit bit of a short show. That's okay. All our shows have been long lately, so I don't mind squeezing (laughs) in a short one for what it's worth. Uh, Andy, what are we watching next week? Uh, so we got a couple things on deck. We have Anola Holmes, which is the Sherlock Holmes... Or, like, daughter of Sherlock Holmes, uh, starring... Oh, I'm blanking. Uh, Henry Cavill. Millie Bobby Brown. Thank you. Millie, Millie Bobby Brown as Enola Holmes and uh, Henry Cavill as uh, Sherlock Holmes and others as well. This looks like a sweet, fun uh, movie. Uh, comes out next Wednesday on, on Netflix. Also, um, something really special that we're excited about is we're going to be watching Akira, the 1988 uh, animated 
animated classic uh, from Japan, seminal work uh, of anime and Japanese filmmaking. Um, I have never seen this. I don't think I've seen this in one complete go in my life because it used to come on TV. It used to come on TV, but I would only see it in like parts. Um, But anyways, where it is coming to theaters for one night only on Thursday, and so uh, Zach and I are going to be making a trek out there to uh, see Akira. I'm excited about Enola Holmes. I've heard good things. And uh, it also stars Helen Bonham Carter, who I haven't seen in a while. And I love her from old Tim Burton movies. So I'm excited to see what that goes all around. That seems kind of a fun romp. Uh, Akira, I'm very excited about. Uh, it's a movie that brought anime to the United States in 1988. Uh, and it was also kind of the first big anime film I ever watched. It's got a special place in my heart. I like it so much. One time I went and bought it uh, at a half-price books. And I got a bootleg copy that didn't work. And then I went and bought another copy. And paid full price again at a different place just to see if I could get it working, and I could. So if anybody wants a bootleg copy of Akira that doesn't work, uh, I got you covered. Otherwise, I'm excited to watch it again in theaters. Can't wait to hear Andy's thoughts on the film as a whole. If you haven't seen it, it is available already. You can go find it. You can watch it on VOD. But it will be in theaters again one night only in IMAX if you can find it. So. Yeah, and I do think this is part of a uh, – actually, I think there's going to be a 4K re-release of – of Akira, mm, um, Akira, and, and so yeah. and so that's why that's why it's coming to theaters. It's to, it's to promote. I think it's Funimation's doing the uh, the 4K re-release. So we're gonna be watching that in theaters this week, and that that'll be uh, next week's show. Oh, it's gonna be so good! Oh, I'm excited. I'm I'm oh I'm unrealistically excited about watching that movie. It's gonna be so cool. All right. If you enjoyed the show today, you can find us on Facebook where we stream our episodes live every Tuesday evening. Like and follow us over there to see what we're doing and get notified when we do our episode. We're on YouTube where we post our full episodes as well in full. And they always get copyright struck because of our trailers that we run. But I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it and we'll start a Patreon or something. It's fine. Uh, We can find us on all of your normal iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, and anywhere else you listen to your audio podcast episodes are uploaded Tuesday evening. On occasion, Wednesday morning, if it takes me a really long time to put them together, but that's usually when you can expect them. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and you can find us in all of those places as well. You can write us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com or just visit our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, to see our episodes in full, additional content, maybe an interview on occasion when Andy knocks one of those out. And I do want to ask you more about... Can you talk about that on the show real quick, or should we yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. it afterwards? What, what, okay, well, what was that about? Hold on. Andy, uh, did, Andy did a radio interview. Yeah, uh, so I did an interview yesterday. Yeah, it was talking to him we were talking about tenet um kind of it's it's disappointing numbers and what that meant for cinema what that meant for the future uh of releases and blockbusters um not good most of what we 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 covered in our death of cinema segment but yeah it was a talking tenet all right i dig it is it on the site yet it'll be soon i'm sure yeah it'll be on soon all right you'll get it on there no worries uh we'll we'll have that we'll have our web team do it that's who that's who will get that on there yeah our web developers um, but if you want to get involved with the show, you can write us, you can follow us. The biggest thing you can do is just subscribe, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform or Facebook. Uh, just follow us on Facebook. You can't subscribe on Facebook, but subscribe on YouTube. Just, you know, engage with us and listen to our stuff and, and throw us a view. You can also rate and review if you can swing it. And that would help a ton too. Just a couple words about what you thought about this episode, the show in general, me or Andy, our presentation. I don't know, whatever. Just, just, just throw us five stars and move on. I'm cool with it. But either way, don't be afraid to engage with us uh, we're excited to hear what you have to say as well from all of us off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for watching